Welcome, everyone, to episode 81 of Ohio Unsolved. I'm your host, Matthew, and welcome back from our week off. Now, I have a decision that I'm trying to make. The The YouTube channel isn't doing as well as the main podcast, so I'm trying to decide if I want to keep it going or not. Your feedback will help me determine if I do keep it going. Do you listen on YouTube? If so, please leave a comment down below to let me know that you want the show to stay on YouTube. Otherwise, I'm just going to put all my focus on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. But with that out of the way, let's just get right into the episode. Everyone sit back, make sure to lock your doors and windows, and get ready for Ohio Unsolved. In this story, we're going to hear about the life, career, and murder of rapper The Notorious B.I.G. Christopher Wallace, better known by his stage name, The Notorious B.I.G., Biggie Smalls, or just simply Biggie, was an American rapper. Rooted in East Coast hip-hop, and particularly gangster rap, he is cited in various media lists as one of the greatest rappers of all time. Biggie became known for his distinctive, laid-back lyrical delivery, offsetting the lyrics' often grim content. His music was often semi-autobiographical, telling telling of his hardship and criminality, but also of debauchery and celebration. Born and raised in Brooklyn, New York City, Biggie signed to Sean Puffy Combs' record label, Bad Boy Records, as it launched in 1993, and he gained exposure through features on several other artists' singles that year. His debut album, Ready to Die, was met with widespread critical acclaim and included his signature songs Juicy and Big Papa. The album made him the central figure in East Coast hip-hop and restored New York's visibility at a time when the West Coast hip-hop scene was dominating hip-hop music. Biggie was awarded the 1995 Billboard Music Awards Rapper of the Year. The following year, he led his protege group, Junior Mafia, a team of himself and longtime friends, including Lil' Kim, to chart success. In 1996, while recording his second album, Biggie became ensnarled in the escalating East Coast-West Coast hip-hop feud following Tupac Shakur's murder in a drive-by shooting in Las Vegas in September of 96. Speculations of involvement in Tupac's murder by criminal elements orbiting the bad boy circle circulated as a result of Biggie's public feud with Tupac. On March 9, 1997, six months after Tupac's murder, 
Biggie was murdered by an unidentified assailant in a drive-by shooting while visiting Los Angeles. Biggie's second album, Life After Death, a double album, was released just two weeks later. It reached number one on the Billboard 200 and eventually achieved a diamond certification in the United States. With two more albums released after his death, Biggie has certified sales of over 28 million copies in the United States, including 21 million albums. Rolling Stone has called him the greatest rapper that ever lived, and Billboard named him the greatest rapper of all time. The Source magazine named him the greatest rapper of all time in its 150th issue. In 2006, MTV ranked him at number 3 on their list of the greatest MCs of all time, calling him possibly the most skillful ever on the mic. In 2020, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Christopher Wallace was born at the St. Mary's Hospital in the New York City borough of Brooklyn on May 21, 1972, the only child of Jamaican immigrant parents. His mother, Valletta Wallace, was a preschool teacher, while his father, George Latour, was a welder and a politician. His father left the family when Biggie was two years old, and his mother worked two jobs while raising him. Raised Catholic, Biggie excelled at Queen of All Saints Middle School, winning several awards as an English student. He attended St. Peter Claver Church in the borough. He was nicknamed Big because he was overweight by the age of 10. Biggie claimed to have begun dealing drugs at about age 12. His mother, often at work, first learned of this during his adulthood. He began rapping as a teenager, entertaining people on the streets, and performed with local groups, the old Gold Brothers, as well as the Techniques. His earliest stage name was MC C-West. At his request, Wallace transferred from Bishop Laughlin Memorial High School in Fort Greene to George Washington Career and Technical Education High School in downtown Brooklyn, which future rappers Jay-Z and Busta Rhymes were also attending. According to his mother, Wallace was still a good student, but developed a smart-ass attitude at the new school. At the age of 17, in 1989, Biggie dropped out of high school and became more involved in crime. That same year, in 1989, he was arrested on weapons charges in Brooklyn and sentenced to five years probation. In 1990, he was arrested on a violation of his probation. A year later, he was arrested in North Carolina for dealing crack cocaine, where he spent nine months in jail before making bail. After release, Biggie made a demo tape, Microphone Murderer, while calling himself Biggie Smalls, alluding both to Calvin Lockhart's character in the 1975 film Let's Do It Again, and to his own stature in obesity, 6 feet 3 inches and 300 to 380 pounds. Although he reportedly lacked real ambition for the tape, local DJ Mr. C of Big Daddy Kane and Juice Crew Association discovered and promoted it. Thus it was heard by the source, Rap Magazine's editor in 1992. In March, the source column Unsigned Hype, dedicated to airing promising rappers, featured Wallace. He then spun the attention into a recording, 
Upon hearing the demo tape, Sean Puffy Combs, still with the A&R department of Up Uptown Records, arranged to meet him. Promptly signed to Uptown, Wallace appeared on a label mate's Heavy D and the Boys song. Mid-year or a year after Wallace's signing, Uptown fired Combs, who a week later launched Bad Boy Records, instantly Biggie's new label. On August 8, 1993, Jan Jackson, Wallace's longtime girlfriend, gave birth to his first child, Tanya. Although the couple had parted by then, himself a high school dropout, Biggie promised his daughter everything she wanted, reasoning that only if he had that in his childhood, he would have graduated at the top of his class. Wallace continued dealing drugs, but Combs discovered this and obliged him to stop. Later that year, he gained exposure on a remix of Mary J. Blige's single, Real Love, Having found his moniker, Biggie Smalls already claimed he took a new one, holding for good, the notorious B.I.G. Around this time, Biggie became friends with fellow rapper Tupac Shakur. Lil Cease recalled the pair as close, often traveling together wherever, whenever they were not working. According to him, Biggie was a frequent guest at Tupac's home, and they spent time together when... Tupac was in California or Washington, D.C. Yuckmouth, an Oakland MC, claimed that Biggie's style was inspired by Tupac. The Real Love remix single was followed by another remix of, of a Mary J. Blige song, What's the 411? Biggie's success continued, if to a lesser extent, on remixes of Nina Cherry's song, Buddy X, and of reggae artist Super Cat song, Dolly My Baby, also featuring Combs, all in 1993. In April, Biggie's solo track, Party and Bullshit, was released on the Who's the Man soundtrack. In July 1994, he appeared alongside LL Cool J and Busta Rhymes on a remix of his own label mate Craig Mack's Flava in Your Ear, the remix reaching number 9 on the Billboard Hot 100. On August 4, 1994, Biggie married R&B singer Faith Evans, whom he had met eight days prior at a Bad Boys photo shoot. Five days later, Biggie had his first pop chart success as a solo artist with Double Side Juicy and Unbelievable, with re which reached number 27 as the lead single to his debut album. Ready to Die was released on September 13, 1994. It reached number 13 on the Billboard 200 chart, and was eventually certified four times platinum. The album shifted attention back to East Coast hip-hop at a time when West Coast hip-hop dominated the U.S. charts. It gained strong reviews, and it has received much praise in retrospect. In addition to Juicy, the record produced two hit singles, the platinum-selling Big Papa, which reached number one on the U.S. rap chart, and One More Chance, which sold 1.1 million copies in 1995. Busta Rhymes claimed to have seen Biggie giving out free copies of Ready to Die from his home, which Busta Rhymes reasoned as his way of marketing himself. Biggie also befriended basketball player Shaquille O'Neal. Shaquille O'Neal said that they were introduced during a listening party for Gimme the Loot. Biggie mentioned him in the lyrics, and thereby attracted 
O'Neill to his music. Shaquille O'Neal requested a collaboration with Biggie, which resulted in the song You Can't Stop the Rain. According to Combs, Wallace was not collaborate with anybody he didn't really respect, and that Biggie paid O'Neal his respect by shouting him out. Wallace later met with O'Neal on Sunset Boulevard in 1997. In 2015, Daz Dillinger, a frequent Tupac collaborator, said that he and Wallace were cool, with Wallace traveling to meet him to smoke cannabis and record two songs. Biggie also worked with pop singer Michael Jackson on the song This Time Around, featured on Jackson's 1995 album History, Past, Present, and Future, Book One. Lil C. Slater claimed that while Biggie met Jackson, he was forced to stay behind with Wallace citing that he did not, quote, trust Michael with kids following the 1993 child sexual abuse allegations against Michael Jackson. Engineer John Van Nest and producer Dallas Austin recalled the sessions differently, saying that Wallace was eager to meet Jackson and nearly burst into tears upon doing so. Biggie was booked to perform in Sacramento. When his group arrived at the venue, there weren't many people there. And when they started performing, they were getting coins tossed at them. When they left, they were held at gunpoint in the venue's parking lot, allegedly set up by E-40's goons, who were angry about an interview Biggie did with a Canadian magazine. When asked to rank a handful of artists on a scale from 1 to 10, Wallace gave E-40 a 0. One of Biggie's entourage said to get E-40 on the phone. Biggie explained how they had got him drunk and had got him to say anything. E-40 told his men to stand down and safely escorted them to the airport. In August 1995, Biggie's protege group Junior Mafia released their debut album, Conspiracy. The group consisted of his friends from childhood and including rappers such as Lil' Kim and Lil' Cease, who went on to have solo careers. The record went gold, and its singles, Players Anthem and Get Money, both featuring Biggie, went gold and platinum. Biggie continued to work with R&B artists, collaborating with R&B groups 112 in total, with both reaching the top 20 of the Hot 100 by the end of the year. Wallace was the top-selling male solo artist and rapper on the U.S. pop and R&B charts. In July 1995, he appeared on the cover of The Source with the caption, The King of New York Takes Over a reference to his alias Frank White, based on a character from the 1990 film King of New York. At the Source Awards in August 95, he was named Best New Artist, Lyricist of the Year, Live Performer of the Year, and his debut album of the year. At the Billboard Awards, he was Rap Artist of the Year. In his year of success, Biggie became involved in a rivalry between the East and West Coast hip-hop scenes with Tupac, now his former friend. In an interview with Vibe in April of 95, while serving time in Clinton Correctional Facility, Tupac accused Uptown Records founder Andre Harrell, Sean Combs, and Biggie of having prior knowledge of a robbery that resulted in him being shot five times and losing thousands of dollars worth of jewelry on the night of November 30, 1994. 
Though Biggie and his entourage were in the same Manhattan-based recording studio at the time of the shooting, they denied the accusation. Biggie said, It just happened to be a coincidence that he was in the studio. He just... He couldn't really say who really had something to do with it at the time. So he just kind of leaned the blame on me. In 2012, a man named Dexter Isaac, serving a life sentence for unrelated crimes, claims that he attacked Tupac that night and that the robbery was orchestrated by entertainment industry executive and former drug trafficker Jimmy Hinchman. Following his release from prison, Tupac signed to Death Row Records on August 15, 1995. This made Bad Boy Records and Death Row business rifles, and thus intensified the quarrel. On March 23, 1996, Biggie was arrested outside of a Manhattan nightclub for chasing and threatening to kill two fans seeking autographs, smashing the windows of their taxi, and punching one of them. He pled guilty to second-degree harassment and was sentenced to 100 hours of community service. In mid-96, he was arrested at his home in New Jersey for drug and weapon possession charges. During the recording for his second album, Biggie was confronted by Tupac for the first time since, quote, the rumors started at the Soul Train Awards and a gun was pulled. In June of 96, Tupac released Hit Em Up, a diss track in which he claimed to have had sex with Faith Evans, who was estranged from Biggie at the time, and that Biggie had copied his style and image. Biggie referenced the first claim on Jay-Z's Brooklyn's Finest, in which he raps, If Faye have twins, she'd probably have two pox. Get it? Two pox. However, he did not directly respond to the track, stating in a 1997 radio interview that it was quote, not his style to respond. On September 7th, 1996, Tupac was shot multiple times in a drive-by shooting in Las Vegas and died six days later. Rumors of Biggie's involvement with Tupac's murder spread. In a 2002 Los Angeles Times series titled, Who Killed Tupac Shakur? Based on police reports and multiple sources, Chuck Phillips reported that the shooting was carried out by a Compton gang, the Southside Crips, to avenge a beating by Tupac hours earlier, and that Biggie had paid for the gun. Evans remembered her husband calling her on the night of Tupac's death and crying from shock. She said, I think it's fair to say he was probably afraid, given everything that was going on at the time and all the hype that was put on this so-called beef that he didn't really have in his heart against anyone. Wayne Barrow, Biggie's co-manager at the time, said Biggie was recording the track Nasty Boy the night that Tupac was shot. Shortly after Tupac's death, he met with Snoop Dogg, who claimed that Biggie declared he never hated Tupac. Two days after the death of Tupac, Biggie and Lil Cease were arrested for smoking marijuana in public and had their car repossessed. The next day, the dealership chose them a Chevrolet Lumina rental SUV as a substitute, despite Lil Cease's objections. The vehicle had brake problems, but Biggie dismissed them. The car collided with a rail in New Jersey, shattering Biggie's left leg, Lil Cease's jaw, and leaving Charlie Baltimore with numerous injuries.
Biggie spent months in a hospital following the accident. He was temporarily confined to a wheelchair, forced to use a cane, and had to complete physical therapy. Despite his hospitalization, he continued to work on the album. The accident was referred to in the lyrics of Long Kiss Goodnight. Y'all still tickle me. I used to be as strong as Ripplebe till Lil C crippled me. On October 29th, 1996, Evans gave birth to Biggie's son, Christopher C.J. Wallace Jr. The following month, Junior Mafia member Lil' Kim released her debut album, Hardcore, under Biggie's direction while the two were having a love affair. Lil' Kim recalled being Biggie's biggest fan and his, his pride and joy. In a 2012 interview, Lil' Kim said Biggie had prevented her from making a remix of the Jodeci single, Love You for Life, by locking her in her room. According to her, Biggie said that she was not going to do no song with them, likely because of the group's affiliation with Tupac and Death Row Records. On January 27, 1997, Biggie was ordered to pay $41,000 in damages following an incident involving a friend of a concert promoter who claimed Biggie and his entourage beat him following a dispute in May of 95. He faced criminal assault charges for the incident, which remains unresolved, but all robbery charges were dropped. Following the events, Biggie spoke of a desire to focus on his peace of mind and his family and friends. In February 1997, Biggie traveled to California to promote his album Life After Death and to record a music video for its lead single, Hypnotize. That month, Biggie was involved in a domestic dispute with girlfriend Charlie Baltimore at the Four Seasons Hotel over pictures of Wallace and other girls. Biggie had told Lil Cease the night prior to take the bag with the photos out of the room, but he had not. Charlie Baltimore ended up throwing Biggie's ring and watch from the hotel window. They later found the watch, but never did find the ring. On March 8, 1997, Biggie attended the Soul Train Awards after party, hosted by Vibe and Quest Records at the Peterson Automotive Museum. Guests include Faith Evans, Alaya, and members of the Blood and Crip Gangs. The next day at 12.30 a.m., after the fire department closed the party early due to overcrowding, Biggie left with his entourage and two GMC Suburbans to return to his hotel. He traveled in the front passenger seat alongside associates Damian D. Rock Butler, Lil Cease, and their driver Gregory G. Money Young. Combs traveled in the other vehicle with two bodyguards. The two trucks were trailed by a Chevrolet Blazer carrying Bad Boy Director of Security Paul Offord. By 12.45 a.m., the streets were crowded with people leaving the party. Biggie's SUV stopped at a red light 50 yards from the Peterson Automotive Museum, and a black Chevy Impala pulled up alongside it. The Impala's driver, an unidentified African-American man dressed in a blue suit and bow tie, rolled down his window, drew a 9mm blue steel pistol, and fired at Biggie's car. Four bullets hit Biggie, and his entourage subsequently rushed him to Cedars-Sinai Medical Center, where doctors performed an emergency surgery, but he was pronounced dead at 1.15 a.m. He was 24 years old. 
His autopsy, which was, rele- which was released 15 years after his death, showed that only the final shot was fatal. It entered through his right hip and struck his colon, liver, heart, and left lung before stopping in his left shoulder. Immediately following the shooting, reports surfaced linking Biggie's murder with that of Tupac six months earlier. Due to similarities in the drive-by shootings and the highly publicized East Coast-West Coast hip-hop feud, of which Tupac and Biggie had been central figures, media reports had previously speculated that Biggie was in some way connected to Tupac's murder, though no evidence ever surfaced to seriously implicate him. Shortly after Biggie's death, Los Angeles Times writers Chuck Phillips and Matt Late reported that the key suspect in his murder was a member of the Southside Crips acting out of a personal financial motive rather than on the gang's behalf. The investigation stalled, however, and no one was ever formally charged. In a 2002 book by Randall Sullivan called Labyrinth, information was compiled about the murders of Biggie and Tupac based on information provided by retired LAPD detective Russell Poole. In the book, Sullivan accused Marion Suge Knight, co-founder of the Death Row Records and a known Bloods affiliate, of conspiring with corrupt Los Angeles Police Department officer David Mack to kill Biggie and make both deaths appear to be the result of the rap rivalry. The book stated that one of Mack's alleged associates, Amir Muhammad, was the hitman who killed Biggie. The theory was based on evidence provided by an informant named Psycho Mike and the general resemblance of Muhammad to the facial composite generated during the investigation. In 2002, filmmaker Nick Broomfield released a documentary called Biggie and Tupac, based on information from the book. The New York Times described Broomfield's documentary as a, quote, largely speculative and circumstantial account relying on flimsy evidence, failing to prevent counter-evidence or question sources. Moreover, the motive suggested for the murder of Biggie in the documentary to decrease suspicion for the Tupac shooting six months earlier was, as the Times put it, unsupported in the film. An article published in Rolling Stone by Sullivan in December of 2005 accused the LAPD of not fully investigating leads concerning death row records based on Poole's evidence. He claimed that Combs, quote, failed to fully cooperate with the investigation and, according to Poole, encouraged bad boy staff to do the same. The accuracy of the article was later challenged in a letter by the assistant managing editor of the Los Angeles Times, who accused Sullivan of using shoddy tactics. Sullivan, in response, quoted the lead attorney of the Wallace estate, calling the newspaper a co-conspirator in the cover-up. In alluding to Sullivan and Poole's theory that formed the basis of the Wallace family's dismissed $500 million lawsuit against the city of Los Angeles, the New York Times wrote, A cottage industry of criminal speculation has sprung up around the case with documentaries books and a stream of lurid magazine articles implicating gangs crooked cops and a cross-country rap rivalry noting that everything associated with biggie's death had been 
Big Business. More recently, the film City of Lies was produced based on Poole's investigation in Sullivan's book and cast Johnny Depp as Poole. The Los Angeles Times printed conflicting theories of the murder in different sections of the paper. The Metro section of the Times reported that police suspected a connection between Biggie's death and the rampant police corruption scandal, consistent with Sullivan and Poole's theory. The Metro section also ran a photo of Muhammad, identified by police as a mortgage broker unconnected to the murder who appeared to match details of the gunman, printing his name and driver's license. However, Chuck Phillips, a staff writer for the business section of the Times, searched for Muhammad, whom the Metro reporters could not find for comment. It took only three days to find Muhammad, who had a current ad for his brokerage business running in the Times. Muhammad, who was not an official suspect at the time, came forward to clear his name. The Metro section of the paper was opposed to running a retraction, but the business desk editor, Mark Saylor, said, Chuck is sort of the world's authority on rap violence, and pushed along with Chuck Phillips for the Times to retract the article. In a correction article written by Phillips in May of 2000, Muhammad was quoted as saying, I'm a mortgage broker, not a murderer, and asking, how can something so completely false end up on the front page of a major newspaper? The story cleared Muhammad's name. A later 2005 story by Chuck Phillips alleged that an informant for the Poole Sullivan theory, Psycho Mike, was a schizophrenic with admitted memory lapses who confessed to hearsay. John Cook of Brill's Content noted that Phillips's article demolished the Poole Sullivan theory of Wallace's murder. In a 2000 book, The Murder of Biggie Smalls, investigative journalist and author Kathy Scott suggested that Biggie and Tupac's murderers might have been the result of the East Coast-West Coast feud and motivated by financial gain for the record companies because the rappers were worth more dead than alive. The criminal investigation into Biggie's murder was reopened in July of 2006 to look for new evidence to help the city defend the civil lawsuits brought by the Wallace family. Retired LAPD detective Greg Kading, who worked for three years on a gang task force that included the Wallace case, alleged that the rapper was shot by Wardell Pucci Foose. Foose, a mob gang member and an associate of Suge Knight, died on July 24, 2003, after being shot in the back while riding his motorcycle in Compton. Kading believes that Knight hired Foose to kill Biggie to avenge the death of Tupac via his girlfriend, Teresa Swan. Kading alleges Tupac was killed under the order of Sean Combs. In December of 2012, the LAPD released the autopsy results conducted on Biggie's body to generate new leads. The release was criticized by the longtime lawyer of his estate, Perry Sanders Jr., who objected to an autopsy. The case remains officially unsolved, despite a good amount of evidence being found. Biggie's funeral was held at the Frankie Campbell Funeral Chapel in Manhattan on March 18th. There were around 350 people at the funeral, 
including Lil Cease, Queen Latifah, Mace, Faith Evans, Jay-Z, Damon Dash, DJ Premier, Charlie Baltimore, DeBrat, Flavor Flav, Mary J. Blige, Lil' Kim, Run DMC, Busta Rhymes, Salt and Pepper, DJ Spinderella, Foxy Brown, and Sister Soldier. David Dinkins and Clive Davis also attended the funeral. After the funeral, his body was cremated and the ashes were given to his family. Sixteen days after his death, Biggie's double-disc second album was released as planned, originally titled Life After Death, Till Death Do Us Part, and later shortened to Life After Death. The album hit number one on the Billboard 200 charts after making a premature appearance at number 176 due to street date violations. The record featured a much wider range of guests and producers than its predecessor, and it gained strong reviews and in 2000 was certified diamond by the RIAA. Its lead single, Hypnotize, was the last music video recording in which Biggie would participate. His biggest chart success was with its follow-up, Mo Money Mo Problems, featuring Sean Combs under the rap alias Puff Daddy and Maze. Both singles reached number one on the Hot 100, making Biggie the first artist to achieve this after death. The third single, Sky's the Limit, featuring the band 112, was noted for its use of children in the music, directed by Spike Jones, who were used to portray Wallace and his contemporaries, including Combs, Lil' Kim, and Busta Rhymes. Biggie was named Artist of the Year and Hypnotized Single of the Year by Spin Magazine in December of 1997. In mid-97, Combs released his debut album, No Way Out, which featured Biggie on five songs, notably on the fifth single, Victory. The most prominent single from the record was I'll Be Missing You, featuring Combs, Faith Evans, and 112, which was dedicated to Biggie's memory. At the 1998 Grammy Awards, Life After Death and its first two singles received nominations in the rap category. The album award was won by Combs's No Way Out and I'll Be Missing You won the award in the category of Best Rap Performance by a duo or group in which Mo Money Mo Problems was nominated. In 1996, Biggie started putting together a hip-hop supergroup, The Commission, which consisted of himself, Jay-Z, Lil Cease, Combs, and Charlie Baltimore. The Commission was mentioned by Wallace in the lyrics of What's Beef? on Life and Death, Life After Death, and Victory from No Way Out. But a commission album was never completed. A track on duets, the final chapter, What You Want, featuring Jay-Z, was based on the group. In December of 1999, Bad Boy released Born Again. The album consisted of previously unreleased material mixed with new guest appearances, including many artists Biggie had never collaborated with in his lifetime. It gained some positive reviews, but received criticism for its unlikely pairings. The source describing it as compiling some of the most awkward collaborations of his career. Nevertheless, the album sold 2 million copies. Biggie also appeared on Michael Jackson's 2001 album, Invincible. Over the course of time, 
His vocals were heard on hit songs such as Foolish, Foolish and Others by Ashanti in 2002 and the song Runnin' with Tupac the following year. In 2005, Duets, the final chapter, continued the pattern started on Born Again, which was criticized for the lack of significant vocals by Biggie on some of its songs. Its lead single, Nasty Girl, became Biggie's first UK number one single. Sean Combs and Valletta Wallace have stated that the album will be the last released primarily featuring new material. A duet album, The King and I, featuring Faith Evans and the Notorious B.I.G. was released on May 19, 2017, which largely contained previously unreleased music. Well, that is going to do it for today's episode. I hope that everyone enjoyed the story. And if you did, could you please rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts? A five-star rating really helps others find us. And don't forget to join us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube. If you do enjoy the show, please consider helping to support the show by joining on Patreon, with monthly bonus episodes being available from the $5 tier. Our next bonus episode is going to be about North Sentinel Island. Once again, thank you all for listening, and make sure to keep your doors and windows locked, and stay ready for Ohio Unsolved. <laughs>